Thanks for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcast, including YouTube. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every single day. Hello, I'm Stephen Willis, and this is an extra edition of the Locked On Ole Miss podcast. I'm here with Shahan Jararaja. Did I get that right? You nailed it. Yes, that's. I'm, I'm giving myself a cookie for that one. We're going to talk a little bit about how CBS Sports, and he is a writer for CBS Sports, views Ole Miss going into the 2023 season. And Shahan, what is the expectation when you see Ole Miss and all that it's talking about? Because I'm in the weeds. I see all the warts. I see all the talent. I see all of that stuff. But what do they say in New York? Yeah, well, I think for, for me, right, we're looking at a team right now that is probably a little below the elite teams in the West, right? The I think Alabama and LSU are probably seen as those top two heading in. But then Ole Miss is kind of seen as one of those next tier teams, one that could maybe rise up into that top group if some things go right. You know, for me, I'd probably put them at third in the SEC West right this second. Uh, you know, obviously, I think that uh, some of that's dependent on what Arkansas does, what Texas A&M does, what Mississippi State does. But I think that Ole Miss probably is in as good a spot as any to be that third team. Now, the question is, as that third team, what is that ceiling? Is that a top 10 to 15 sort of finish like it was a couple of years ago? Is it a borderline top 25 type of finish like it was last year? I think that that's the piece that we're kind of waiting to see. But but I think that Ole Miss kind of comes in as one of the more intriguing teams in the SEC, especially after all these transfers. Yeah, they're all over the place. It's, it's nuts. They had the uh, opening of fall camp today. And I think Lane Kiffin talked about half the team It was new players, either signees or transfers coming in. So how do you think that Ole Miss will actually be at the upper end of your guess of what might happen? What, what will it take for Ole Miss to be that nine or 10 win team? Sure. Well, I, I think that a couple of these transfers really have to hit. Obviously, uh, you know, I love the Zachary Franklin ad. He's somebody who I'm familiar with from his time at UTSA. I think he has a chance to be a dynamic receiver for them. And, you know, that's the big thing that I think I look at more than anything else with Ole Miss is, their passing game in general just has to be better. Last year, it was a, a pretty inconsistent unit, didn't have a lot of explosiveness to it. They went to the transfer portal. They added a whole lot, obviously added two quarterbacks. But I, I think that some of that growth also just needs to come at that position, right? Obviously, Jackson Dart, it sounds like maybe has a narrow lead on that position. It's really up in the air, though. Uh, he needs to be a more dynamic passer in 2023, I think, for Ole Miss to have a chance. I, I like what Lane Kiffin did to put some pieces around him to make that game a little easier. But, you know, look, we know what Ole Miss is in the running game. That's not a question. And defensively, I expect them to be also pretty good as well against some good transfers coming in on that side, too. They've got to be more dynamic in the passing game. We saw during some of these moments, like at the end of the Alabama game and things like that, that this is a unit that uh, that obviously can do the little things really well, but they've got to be uh, they've got to be a team that can break games as well. And I don't think we saw that last season. Yeah, I don't either. And Zachary Franklin, who basically rewrote the record book at UTSA, and then you have Trey Harris, who was also a All Conference USA player on the other side, who was who is kind of emerging as the alpha dog in that wide receiver room at the moment at Ole Miss. What transfer players besides those two? Will you have your eyes on? Well, I think that obviously you have to look at the quarterbacks, right? Uh, you know, the Spencer Sanders situation has been a little bit weird for sure, but I think just getting more competition in that room is such a big part of it as well, right? So, I mean, I think that 
uh, you know, Jackson Dart, there wasn't necessarily a whole lot to push him, especially after Luke Altmaier kind of fell out of favor and decided to look elsewhere. So I think that getting a veteran in the room in Spencer Sanders, another really young, talented player and Walker Howard to come in, I, I think that he's somebody who makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I, uh, I'm i playing on the name right now. They, they added a really nice linebacker transfer. You know, so I, I think that they, uh, you know, they're going to, I think, be a little bit more dynamic at that position this year. Obviously, it's such a big part of what they want to do on the defensive side of the ball. And, and I love actually, you know, not even speaking of transfers, I love the addition of Pete Golding as defensive coordinator. I think that's somebody who got a little undervalued during his time at Alabama because he was at Alabama. But I think that he's going to be able to run a little bit more of what he wants to do. Uh, again, with the way that he uses linebackers, with the way he uses safeties, I, I think it's going to have a chance to be a really nice fit. You know, this is a little bit off topic, but I want to ask you this to see if you agree with me. I think Pete Golding's reputation with Alabama's fans comes from two factors. One, that he went after Jeremy Pruitt and Kirby Smart where the offense and everything was built completely around the defense. And he was there when Tua and um, Mac Jones, or, or I think that's his name, um, played yeah. quarterback when they were throwing the ball all over the field completely wide open offense. And yes, the defense was not going to be at the level where 2011 Kirby smart Alabama was, but that doesn't mean that there wasn't a bunch of five stars around there would just beat you down. Yeah. I, I think that's a huge part of it. There, there are two things that I think play a big role in it. One, like you said, no defense was going to look as good as the way that they played defense before. I mean, that's just reality. They're going to, guess what? They're probably going to look better on defense this year because they're going to play a more defensive friendly style of offense this year. The other part of it too, is that I think that Pete Golding coaches a very modern style of defense and for Alabama and Georgia, you can kind of still get away with these giant mauling machines up front, right? With, with just having, four 320 pounders and that kind of be it but you know with everybody else right i mean you're trying to defend the spread you're trying to defend the options right like i i think that um you know the way that pete golden uses safeties is probably better suited for a defense like what Ole Miss is putting together, one that's obviously, you know, you want to use speed, you want to cover space in a big kind of way. It's not going to be the exact same thing as a Kirby smart defense that you can build a perfect roster around. But I think that that's not necessarily what anybody else is trying to accomplish. So I think that it's going to work in a big sort of way at Ole Miss. And I, I think that it's going to be a really good fit. Now, looking at the SEC as a whole, give give me like three teams that I need to be paying attention to in that league. That you can't say Georgia or Alabama or LSU. Okay, okay, no, I like that. Um, okay, so the the first team, I think that Texas A&M is obviously going to be a very interesting team because the variance is just so high. We saw them miss a bowl game last year after fielding the most uh, talented recruiting class of all time. But, you know, I, I think that they're going to be better at receiver than they were last year with Anaya Smith coming back. Connor Wegman, I think, has entrenched himself as that likely starting quarterback. And defensively, I mean, we know what they have on the defensive lines. But I think that they also made some additions in the secondary that should give them a chance to be a little bit better as well. So they're a team with incredible boomer bust potential. And that bust is real. They could absolutely miss a bowl game again if some things go the wrong way. So I think that's going to be an interesting thing for them to watch. You know, I think Kentucky with uh, Will Levis coming. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to do this 18 times next year. It's Devin Leary. Their their last names are both start with an L and are both five letters. <laughs> I know who Devin Leary is. Um, 
you know, so he comes in from NC State. I actually think he's a better college football player than what Will Levis was last year. Um, You know, he was somebody who was very consistent for NC State, uh, just a really good, consistent player at quarterback. And the other part of it, too, is they bring back Liam Cohen, who was the offensive coordinator for them a couple years ago when they had one of their great 10-win seasons. So I think that that fit's going to just be a little bit better. Again, I would not be surprised at all if they're better, despite losing Will Levis and adding Devin Leary. Uh, did I do that right? I think I did yeah. that right. <laughs> at quarterback. I'm going to do that again 18 mm-hmm. times this year. Um and I think the other team that you just have to like, you have to keep an eye on this year is Tennessee. And obviously they had the up cycle this last year with a, with that really, really great receiver room. And with Hendon Hooker running the offense, is it going to be the same with now Joe Milton taking over a player who's had ups, but had plenty of downs as well. Uh, you know, the expectations seem to be for them to be that, that team to compete with Georgia in the East. I'm going to be curious to see, especially after losing some of the receiver talent that they did, are they going to be able to do it? You know, what's interesting about Joe Milton to me right now is he's actually won the job and then lost the job at two separate schools um, on two separate occasions. Hendon Hooker isn't a thing because Joe Milton actually won that job in camp. Now, if he goes down, if that happens again, is it a Nico Imaliva? situation or is there somebody else that we need to be keeping an eye on a rocky top no i think it's it's a nico situation right if this thing doesn't work out and i i think that having a quarterback like joe milton there to kind of usher in that era is going to be really good for for nico to not have to get rushed into it the comparison i've been making all off season is the kelly bryant trevor lawrence situation at clemson a couple years ago now I don't think Tennessee is a, a national championship caliber team. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but I do think that it just gives them enough of a baseline to feel pretty good about what they have. And either when Nico's ready or if Joe Milton struggles, they're going to be able to make that change and really have a chance, I think, to, uh, to, to give themselves a good chance to win some games down the stretch. Obviously, they played Georgia late in the year, and we saw, you know, this is not an offense that's necessarily built – to compete with what Georgia does defensively. Not many are, of course, but I, I think that maybe if you throw Nico into that and add just another dynamic component, you know, you, you kind of wait and see what happens. And so I'm really excited to uh, to, to see what they kind of do with that and, um, and to see whether Nico can give that offense just a little bit more upside. Okay, you mentioned Clemson, so this is officially your fault. Okay, we got to, we got to talk about realignment now because Clemson and Florida State's just completely acting a fool on the East Coast. Arizona's looks to be on the verge of coming to the Big Twelve, and now all of a sudden the Big Ten is exploratory meetings about Washington, Oregon, Stanford, and Cal. Now, for starters, this is all hilarious to me because whenever Texas and Oklahoma went to the SEC. They had to form an alliance to talk about the big evil Southeastern Conference that was going to take everybody's team. It looks like the Big Ten has used that alliance to kind of cherry pick. They're looking at Florida State and Clemson and Oregon. and They're looking at picking teams all over the place and not even discounting USC and UCLA. What is going on here, man? Well, so so here's to take a step back for a second. Mm -hmm. You know, I got a chance to talk to Greg Sankey a little bit last year during some of these playoff meetings. And one thing that I really took away from my conversation with him is he understands where the SEC stands right now. If the SEC made zero moves 
and the Big Ten added every other team in college football, I think the SEC would still feel fine with where they are, right? I mean, they've got 16 really good teams. They've got whatever, 15 of the last 18 national champions. And like, yeah, maybe you throw, I think actually, sorry, 14 of the last 18 national champions. And like, yeah, you know, maybe Clemson and Florida State become available and it becomes 17. But I don't know. Does it matter that much? Does it change what the SEC is that much? And so I think the Big Ten right now, obviously from a monetary perspective, is able to compete with and even at times outdo the SEC. But from a competition perspective, it hasn't been all that close. And so I think that that's what the Big Ten is trying to kind of deal with right now is, look, we we can have all this, but like at the end of the day, between football and basketball since 2002, the league has only won one combined national championship, and that's not necessarily good enough. So I think they're trying to see where can we kind of sit and how can we kind of build ourselves into a position where we can compete in a different kind of way with the SEC. And I think that the SEC isn't all that concerned about that. You know, look, maybe Florida State and Clemson do become available. Maybe North Carolina and Virginia Tech do become available. I I don't necessarily know that there's going to be uh, an obvious spot for them in the SEC just with the way things are set up. I think that Everybody else right now is trying to compete with the SEC, and I don't feel like the SEC feels like they need to compete with anybody else. Yeah, and you're absolutely right there. But one rumor that just is kind of just bothered me at the moment, and all the and all this realignment talk, it's all rumors at this point. Unless you're Arizona, it's all rumors. Uh, you got Florida State and Clemson, and they're talking about those two schools might be going to the Big Ten. But that is a conference that is notoriously – hoity-toity about academics and they only take AAU schools and you look at Oregon and Washington and um, Stanford and Cal they're all AAU schools Clemson and Florida State wouldn't fit I mean unless they're going to change who they are yeah and you know that's such a good point and such a good question because you know, every school right now in the Big Ten, except for one, is AAU. And Nebraska was AAU when they did join the conference. They lost that designation since then. I, I think that you mentioned it a little a second ago. The Big Ten has kind of gone into this saying one thing, but they've acted another way, right? They've gone out and they've taken these West Coast schools. They've gone in and said, look, we will take, quote unquote, the leftovers of the Pac-12 if they're available to us we'll have these conversations with Clemson and Florida state, because I think that from their perspective, they view it's a a situation of survival right now. And, you know, it's the old uh, Mike Tyson quote, right? Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. And the SEC adding Texas and Oklahoma was their punch. And I don't think that the big 10 feels like they fully recovered from it. So uh, all that to say, I mean, if I had to guess right now, I think that Florida state and Clemson, probably do not have as obvious a landing spot as they hope as they do. Right. I mean, there were a lot, there was a lot of talk today at this Florida state board of regents meeting. And I don't necessarily know that they've dealt with the most central part of it, which is do they have a landing spot if they're able to get out of this ACC contract, which I don't think there's any guarantee that they're going to be able to. So it's a, it's a lot to deal with right now. Um, I understand if you are not in the, the top two right now in the big 10 or the sec, and especially if you're a team that aspires to win national championships like Washington and Oregon, like Florida state and Clemson and Miami, why you're so concerned about this new reality. But I I think that the big 10 and sec have to also decide that they're going to let you in. And I don't know that that's something that's uh, a given right this second. 
Thanks again for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube. Um, subscribe there if you don't mind. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Shahan Jararaja um, from CBS Sports, dropping all kinds of national knowledge on us. Thank you very much, man, for stopping by, and I hope we can do this again sometime. Thank you so much for having me.